Good morning. Greetings to each of you in the name of Christ, our Savior, our Mediator, our King, the Sovereign Lord who is our stronghold and our light and our salvation. Would you please turn your Bibles again with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. And let me invite you to stand with me, and we will read together our text for study this morning. This morning we return to looking again at the Lord's Prayer. As we read this, we encourage you to read it as if for the first time. We can, most of us, probably recite these words, but take them to heart. Let's let's read them together prayerfully. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to You this morning asking that You would give us wisdom to see this teaching of Christ as we ought. Give us illumination by Your Spirit. Work in our hearts. May we have understanding, not as the natural man understands, but as the spiritual man. The man indwelt by the Spirit of God, receiving the things from God. Father, we ask that You would glorify Your name before us this morning. That You would change our hearts for You. Change our way with prayer. Lord Jesus, You are our King. We are the members of Your kingdom. And You have taught us in this text how to pray. How to talk with Your Father, with our Father. And we ask that You would teach us this morning as Your children, as children of the Father, as Your brothers and sisters whom You have redeemed. We thank You. We thank You for condescending to teach us such things. And so we come to You with open hearts. We come to You knowing that You are still the King with all authority on heaven and earth being granted to You. And we know that these words are breathed by the Spirit. And so we submit our hearts to them and wait for you to speak to us and to work your will in us. For your glory we ask these things. Through Christ our mediator. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. As we said last week, we began a brief study on the Lord's Prayer. And we started off last week by orienting ourselves to the broader context, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll just briefly do a little bit of review there, and not much, but just to kind of spark your memory a little bit. We, we mentioned that the Lord's Prayer must first of all be taken in the context of the law of the kingdom of God. When we read the Lord's Prayer, we see what God calls the members of Christ's kingdom to live And immediately we find ourselves being crushed by the weight of God's law. For 
We cannot be who we were originally created to be. We cannot live up to the law of God. We fall short of the glory of God. And that's the intention of God's law. But then we also talked about how the Lord's Prayer must be taken in the context of the Gospel. That we come to God our Father with a poor heart, a poor spirit, mourning over our sin, asking Him to be gracious to us through Christ our King. And then the Sermon on the Mount becomes the way of the members of Christ's kingdom. He rules in us through His Spirit and changes us into His own image. We talked about that last week in some great detail. We also oriented ourselves to the immediate context of Jesus' teaching on prayer. And we said last week that praying is a God-centered activity. It is never about getting something from men, like Jesus taught in verse 5 and 6, that we can never, we're never to pray in order to receive praise from other people. And Jesus is also teaching in this immediate context that, that prayer is not even primarily about getting something earthly for ourselves from God. Prayer is about something higher, something better, something greater. It is ultimately, as we are seeing as we unfold this text, praying is asking God, our Father, to be hallowed in every aspect of our lives. And we'll talk about what that means. And so we we took some time last week to observe the structure of the Lord's Prayer that Christ reveals to us and what it teaches us about prayer. Have you noticed that sometimes as as you read the Lord's Prayer, We pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Sometimes those phrases come off the end of our tongue as if we're just saying to God, we praise you, we thank you, we bless your name. But have you ever noticed that they're actually requests? The things you're coming to the Father and asking him to do. The first one is hallowed be your name. The second Your kingdom come. The third, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fourth, give us this day our daily bread. The fifth, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the last, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's easy for us to see these last three as our prayer requests. We They are normally our experience. They're often our experience. We pray, Lord, please give me what I need today. Forgive me. Protect me. But remember, these first three are also requests that we ask our Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the priority of prayer. They come first. That's why Jesus places them first. Now, something else that's not inappropriate to think of, but that the first three requests have to do with asking things for God, right? The second three have to do with asking things for ourselves. And that's, again, that's not a bad thing, but again, the priority is God. We, as we come to our Heavenly Father in prayer, the the greatest Requests on our hearts ought to be for Him, for His honor, for His return, for His will. And and we could even take it one step farther, and that's what I want to really make a point of today as we walk through these requests. 
is that this first request governs them all. This first request is the priority under which all of these other requests fall. Why do we ask for His kingdom to come? Why do we ask that His will be done? That Why do we ask for our daily bread to be given? Why do we ask for forgiveness? Why do we ask to be delivered from evil? Because in all of those things in our lives, if they come about, God's name will be hallowed. I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer that way. I think that's the way Jesus meant us to think about it. And we'll explain that. We'll unfold that as we look at the, at the requests today. Last week, we just looked at number one in your outline. You can follow along. We focused on the fact that prayer is about a relationship. The main idea of this whole prayer that we've embraced is, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray then like this. I hope that's on all of our hearts as we walk through these words. Lord, teach me to pray like this. I, as a member of your kingdom, have a lot of changing to do. May the King, through His Spirit, rule in me. Lord Jesus, teach me to pray like this. And the first thing, and this is as far as we got last week, is that prayer like this can only be done in the context of a relationship. Our Father in heaven, there's not a one of us that can pray apart from being in Christ. We talked about that in great detail last week. We have to be in Christ. We actually have to be children of God in Christ by the new birth through the Spirit in order to talk to God as our Father in this way. And being children of God then, we also learned that we must come to God in prayer with a sense of God's heavenliness, His transcendence. We looked at Isaiah 40. We looked at the transcendence of God there. To whom are we coming in prayer? Through Christ, we're coming to the God of heaven. Again, we looked at that in great detail last week. But in in combination with that, in wonder of wonders, right? That this God of heaven, we can also call what? Father. That we are His children. He is our Father. So we come to prayer. Jesus calls us to come to prayer in a relationship which means that we are mindful of God's heavenliness and His fatherliness. Now, let's, let's this morning pick up at point number two in your outline that I've placed for you in your bulletin and uh, think about the, the first of the requests. Hallowed be your name. Being that we are children of this heavenly Father in Christ, what do we ask for? What, what is Jesus teaching to come us to come to Him and ask for in prayer? And the very first thing, and I've called it in your outline number two, reputation. We are asking for some things about the reputation of God. Not our reputation. God's reputation. This is the priority of prayer. Hallowed be your name. This is the first and the most important request that we can ask in prayer. So what does it mean? Well, first let's talk for a moment about our Father's name. Hallowed be your name. We've talked about this on several occasions, but let's make it clear again. Name. Why 
Why is there so many phrases throughout Scripture that refer to the name of God? We want God's name to be hallowed. Well, the name of God, we could say this morning, is the sum of who He is. His attributes. His abilities. His actions. His authority. Everything that He is rightly known for being and doing is His name. Everything that God our Father is rightly known for being and rightly known for doing is His name. That's the name of our Father in Heaven. I like to illustrate the meaning of the name with the verse John 20.31. These are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you may have life some versions say, through the power of His name. Others say, you may have life in His name. What does that mean? That's, that sounds kind of foreign to the way we talk today. How do you have life in the name of Christ? Well, what it means is that first, you realize that your salvation, your eternal life, your being comes from who He is. He gives it to you because of who He is. What does His name reveal about who He is? And of course, John unfolds then who He is. He's the great shepherd. He's the bread of life. He is the true vine. He is the Son of God. And on and on the the list goes throughout the Gospel of John. John reveals the name of Christ. And why does that matter? Because being who He is, then you realize what He can do for you in your need. He is the bread of life. He can give me true, spiritual, eternal food Himself. Right, His life, His death, His resurrection. He says, I am true food and true drink, right? So that's what it means when we talk about the name. It's it's who someone is in their attributes and their abilities, their actions, and God and His authority, and therefore then what He can do. So as we pray, our primary request, the request that that must inform all of our other prayers, the request that, that must be served by all the other requests is that His name be hallowed. Who He is in His attributes. What He can do in His actions. His authority. His glory. But what does it mean then that we ask for our Father's name to be hallowed? That's an old word for us as well. We say it in this prayer, but we don't normally use it in everyday life. We are used to understanding this word. If you could see this word in its original language, we're used to seeing this word in the New Testament translated differently, like sanctify. It's the same word as the word sanctify that we see so often in the New Testament. Or make holy. And when we think of that word, we think of sanctify as a work of God. A work that God does in our hearts, in our lives, to change us, to pull us away from the world, to pull us away from worldliness, to pull us away from sinning. But of course, that's not how the word is used here exactly. We're not praying that God's name would be purified or separate from the world in the sense of sinfulness. Hallow in this sense means to set apart and honor above all. To reverence. To value. To esteem. So how does that work its way into request then? Hallowed be your name. Well, there's a personal aspect to this request. It's asking God to set apart His name in our minds. 
who He is and His greatness and His goodness and His glory set Himself apart in our minds, our hearts, from all other things so that we see Him as He truly is. So then that we marvel at Him as we ought and love Him as He deserves to be loved. That's what it means to pray, hallowed be Your name. Help me to see You, God, as You really are. It's pleading with God to show us who He truly is so that we know that He is indeed more valuable, more majestic, more desirable than anything else in all of the universe. Do you think that way about God today? We often don't in the daily activities of life. We need God's name to be hallowed to us constantly. It's praying for a clear and accurate, overwhelming sense of who God is and His righteousness and His justice and His wrath and His knowledge and His presence and His love and His mercy and grace, His strength, His sovereignty, His compassion, His long-suffering, His patience, His kindness. Why? God, let me see You as You really are, more glorious, more precious, more clearly than anything else in all the universe. Why? So that I can love you as you deserve to be loved. Value you as you deserve. Treasure you above all. That's the personal request that we as children of God ask for, that Jesus is teaching us to ask for, and that, so that it would greatly affect us, so that the holiness of God would affect us. Is that Your priority in prayer. God, I have to see You in all of Your glory so that I can respond to You in life, in everything, the way You deserve. But then that request, as you can can imagine, moves quickly beyond a a, a personal request to to a global request. It's not just for us, it's for all. This is also a global request that as we understand and are affected personally and radically by the holiness of God, we would be part of the great and glorious plan of God to make His holiness known in the earth so that He would be known and worshipped and adored by all people as He deserves. Not just us, but our families, our friends, our community, our country. The nations? We so often come to prayer with such a fixed focus on ourselves that our prayers become gripped by our lives and our problems and our desire for our lives and and our desires that we have for our lives and our problems. Jesus gives us a different focus, a different priority in prayer. It's the holiness, the reputation, the worship of God in the earth. That's number one. That's the first request. That request shapes and informs all of the others. And so therefore, we're to take everything, everything that our Father ordains for us in this life, pleasant and unpleasant, joyful or painful, and ask Him to use it for what purpose? Hallow Your name in me. Hallow Your name through me in this world so that He may be known by us, by others, admired and loved as He deserves. Just consider how this priority in prayer given to us by Christ 
would change how we pray about everything. How many of you have ever prayed for a job? What was your priority in prayer when you were praying for that job? God, please grant me this job because what? And how would Jesus' teaching inform us? God, give me the job that will most be used by you to reveal your glory to me that I will love you more. Or give me the job that would be used in my life to reflect your holiness and your glory to others so that they would know you and adore you as you deserve. You see, that can enter into everything you ask for. What spouse would God have for you? What children God would give to you? How you pray about your sickness. This, This would change everything. Often, I'm with you. We pray, God, please heal me from sickness. But what if our sickness causes His name to be hallowed more than our health? You see? What's the priority? The hallowing of His name. How many people do you know and have been blessed by whose illness caused God to use them in your life to love God more? You see? This is how God works. So then what are we really praying for when we pray? Jesus says the first thing, the hallowing of of, of God the Father's name. Our finances, our relationships, our education, the ministry God's entrusts to us, everything, everything. There's not anything that's outside of the use of God for the hallowing of His name in our lives. So this first request shapes everything. All prayers from the heart of the child of God to His Father are to converge into one great request. That is the first request and the ultimate priority in prayer. Hallowed be Your name. God, whatever makes You known as You are. God, whatever causes me and the people in my life to adore You and love You as You deserve and honor You. Hallowed be Your name. Well, you play it out in your life. I can't, I can't give examples for all of us. So many different circumstances we pray about. So many different unpleasant circumstances we pray, pray about. And the first request we ought to have in our hearts as children of God is, whatever hallows your name, God. And the thing is, is if God is, is hallowing His name to us, if He's revealing His glory to us and we're adoring Him and worshiping and loving Him and responding to Him as, as, we, as we ought to, as He deserves, then that will move us to want Him to use all of our circumstances to do the same in others' lives as well. This is, this is the prayer of the psalmist too. Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. That's hallowed be your name in different words. Let us see God as He is. Let us attribute to God all that is truly due to Him. Glory in His name. Psalm 34, we keep coming, this must be a theme this morning. None of us planned this, by the way. Psalm 34, 1-3, I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My mouth makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us what? Exalt His name together. That's hallowed be your name. Psalm 45, 17. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. What a massive prayer request that is. Psalm 48.10 As your name, O God, so your praise reaches the ends of the earth. Your name reaches the ends of the earth, and if you know God's name as He really is, what will be your response to His name? Praise. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Psalm 72.17-19 May His name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in Him. All nations call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. That's this request. So, Lord Jesus, Teach us to pray like this. That's what this text is for. Secondly, now that we understand from the heart that the holy reputation of God on the earth is the priority of prayer and the focus of all other requests, then and only then are we ready to take up the next request that Jesus teaches to us. Number three this morning, which is request two, we ask about his return. Your kingdom come. First, this is a prayer for the second coming of Christ. That's primarily what this is. And we'll we'll make another application of it in, in a few moments. But first of all, this is a prayer for the second coming of Christ whereby He immediately and powerfully sets up His earthly rule in absolute righteousness. Can you see how this would be the most natural prayer to pray following the hallowing of God's name in our hearts? Think about it. God, I long to be with you now. To see you as you really are in Christ to worship you as you deserve. I long, God, for the earth to be covered with the knowledge of your glory like the waters cover the sea. I want that now for you, God. God, I long for the presence of sin to be forever destroyed and the the loving of your name to be universal. Right? I want that now, God. Do you long for that? Yes, you do. And sometimes in the longing for that, your first thought is, well, we need a different president. No! That's not the answer. What's the prayer for that? Your kingdom come. The most powerful, this is, this is why we pray this next. Because the most powerful and effective and immediate act of our Father for the hallowing of His own name would be the appearing of Christ. That's it. That would make it all happen. All evil removed from the earth, his righteousness covering all things, and perfect praise from every mouth and heart. 
Notice, by the way, how soon after the salvation of the Gentile or of the Thessalonian church, they began praying this prayer. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 9, 1 through 10. Paul is reminding the Thessalonians about how they came to salvation. And he says in verse 9, for they themselves, the surrounding people, they themselves report about, report concerning us the kind of reception that we, gospel preaching messengers, that we had among you, and how you, Thessalonians, in your salvation, you turned from God to idols to serve the living and true God, and what? To wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the, from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So very, very fascinating here that, that as soon as these Thessalonians heard the gospel, and that gospel proclamation was accompanied to them with spirit and power and conviction, their hearts were changed, and they turned from idols to serve the living and true God, and then they were on the edge of their seat waiting for the Son to return. There's nothing, there's nothing like the appearing of the Son that will hallow the name of God, our Father. Why is this so important to us? Well, think for a moment about the kinds of thoughts that most people in the world have today about our Heavenly Father. You hear people talk. You hear people talk on the radio, on the TV, on the internet, and around town, and you hear people say all kinds of things about God. And sometimes you hear such things that you're like, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew who the Father is. You wouldn't even say those things, right? That's the kind of holy jealousy that we're to have in our hearts for the reputation of our Father. It stirs us to zeal for the name and reputation of our Father in the earth. What then, more than anything else, would set right the thoughts of sinful men about our holy God so that His glorious name would be hallowed in the earth? The return of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-12 since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Paul says here in verse 11, having just stated all of the, the effect there of the, the coming of Christ, he says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and, make, and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that we, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear ones, I know we, we do not long to have the vengeance of God against sinners. 
happen. We want, we want God's mercy for sinners, right? Just like God has been merciful to us, but you know what? Honestly, there's something that we're called to long for more than that. What is it? The hallowing of God's name. More than, more than, even, more than even just the fact that everyone would, would avoid His wrath. Because sometimes even in the wrath of God, God's name is hallowed, right? God's name is hallowed in His just exercise of wrath and in His gracious exercise of mercy. Because we long for our Father's name we, to be hallowed in the earth, we're praying for Christ's appearing. We pray like Revelation 22, 16-21 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. So the, the second request that Jesus teaches us to pray for is for his coming, his appearing. Why? Because it it, it hallows the name of his Father. Do you pray for the appearing of Christ? Is that second on your prayer list? Lord Jesus, teach us to pray then like this. Now, if our ultimate prayer is for the hallowing of our Father's name, what we ought to be praying for between now and the future coming of Christ then is what? We're praying for the, the appearing of Christ, but then what about between now and then? What, what's the, the best priority to pray for next? Let's call it this, number four, the reign of Christ. Or the reign, we'll just call it the reign. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that as we pray for Christ's return by the words, your kingdom come, we may also pray by those same words for increasing submission to Christ's Lordship now. Submission to His Lordship in the earth today through the convicting and converting work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of sinners as the Gospel is proclaimed. That also will extend the reign of Christ in the hearts of men. The kingdom of Christ, in this sense, advances and expands wherever the Spirit of Christ dwells in men's hearts through saving faith. And wherever the Word and love and joy and peace of Christ rule in men's hearts. That's what I mean when I say, your kingdom come in this sense. Your kingdom come in this sense is asking God to save sinners from their rebellion to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords so that they would too delight to trust Him as Savior and follow Him as Lord. 
This is asking God to advance the Great Commission among the nations through the proclamation of the Gospel from His church. This is the heart behind asking the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Matthew 9.38 And also certainly praying like Isaiah, here am I, send me. Your kingdom come. May more and more people be swept into the joyful submission to the King. That's the same prayer. That's the, the increase of the kingdom of God on the way to His return. As God answers this request in this way, again, His name will be increasingly hallowed. Wherever Christ reigns in the hearts of men through the regenerating and renewing and indwelling work of the Spirit, He will be increasingly magnified and marveled at as He deserves. But, then again, as we pray for our Father's reign, we will not only ask for Christ's return, but also Jesus to taught for His will to be done. So, your kingdom come, appear, Lord. Your kingdom come, advance the submission to the Lordship of Christ in the world. But also, the reign of Christ is being prayed about when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's think about that request for a few moments. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the meaning of that request? What are we asking for? We are asking for God's Word to be, let me say it this way, asking for God's Word to be so loved by those whom He saves that His revealed will, His commands, are done by men on the earth as they are done by angels in heaven. Think about that. When God makes a command, when God reveals His will in heaven, how do the angels respond? Perfect, joyful obedience, right? How do we often respond to God's revealed will? His clear commands in Scripture. That's why we pray this. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As asking our Father to enable us through His Spirit's power to love Him and obey His commands with joy. And why would we ask for that? You know. Because that honors the Father's name. Doesn't it? When His people are holy, like He is holy, that brings Him great glory. Again, everything goes back to this first request. If we are living in obedience to His commands and still openly calling Him Father, what kind of reputation will we make for our Father? Our disobedience will cause others to blaspheme our Father's name. Paul wrote about that multiple times through his letters. That you would walk in godliness and holiness so that the gospel of God is not blasphemed. That's the idea. But if we joyfully and lovingly obey His commands by His grace... We will look more and more like Jesus and bring greater honor to His name in the world around us. So think about that. Think about it in some practical 
some practical applications of God's will. What is God's will that we pray will be done in our lives so that His name will be hallowed by our lives? Here's a few I was just thinking from the New Testament. Many of which I think, maybe all of them here, come from Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 and so on. Be angry and do not sin. When we are when we are angry, what kind of reputation? When we are sinfully angry, what kind of reputation does that give to our Father in heaven? Doesn't that slight His mercy and compassion before the eyes of others? Be anxious for nothing. When we are anxious, doesn't that slight the sovereignty of God before the world? Think about it. Flee youthful lusts. 1 Timothy 6. When we pursue sinful lusts, doesn't that slight the goodness and love of our Father? Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. When we don't speak the truth, and when we do speak it, we don't speak it in love, doesn't that slight the truth and the love of our Father? Obey your parents, children. When we don't, Doesn't that slight the authority and the wisdom of God? Everything has an effect on the reputation of God in the lives of His children. Everything. Submit to your own husbands, wives, when we don't. Doesn't that also slight the authority and the wisdom and the provision of God? Husbands, love your wives. And when we don't, doesn't that slight self-sacrificing, giving up of self that our Father and our older brother Christ made for us, and so on. Think about it all. Everything, everything that we do has an effect on the reputation of God, and that's why we pray, your will be done. Christ, may the members of your kingdom do your will as do the members of your kingdom in heaven. Please give us this grace that we may reflect reflect well upon our Father in heaven. And second, we're asking that God's secret will, sovereign will, those things that are not directly revealed in the moral will of God, that they be done and through each and every circumstance of our lives and the lives of people everywhere, that God would be honored. This is asking God to provide a car or a place to live according to His will. Those are things that aren't revealed in the Scripture. What car, what place to live, and so on. We say, God, I want Your will to be done with that. Your will, not mine. Your will. Provide for someone a godly spouse. Lord, I want Your will in this. Grant a certain couple a healthy child. God, we want Your will in this. Save a specific person from their sins. Your will. Your sovereign will be done. Make right this great injustice. Your sovereign will be done. Use our suffering for the saving of many lives. Like Joseph. Your sovereign will. God's sovereign will in each of these things we cannot know ahead of time. We pray that it will be done. Cause all things to work together for good. Give us boldness to witness and persecution. All things to work together for good. In our disappointments, our joys, our setbacks, our successes, in everything, in everything, 
It's asking our Father to reign and rule over us here and now in everything because it is under the reign and rule of God that He will be known as He is and loved as He deserves and served as He deserves. Now, as you think about that, you might be having a little hang-up at the moment because you would say, well, isn't God's sovereign will always done? And yes, it is. And I'm not implying by this application of the request that God's sovereign will is sometimes not done. God's sovereign secret will is always done. Job 42.2, Job says, Now I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. But I think in this application of the request, we are expressing to our Heavenly Father our desire to submit to Him in everything. And we're expressing to Him with love that we want everything to be done exactly the way He has planned. It's a relational prayer. And we will only want that and pray that truly from the heart if we ourselves are beholding the glory of God's holiness and marveling at the magnification of His holiness while delighting humbly in the reality that we're His children. That's the only way we're going to want His will to be done. I mean, think about it. Who would you choose to run the universe however they wanted if you could choose that? Would it be you? No. I think all of us have one answer to that question. We would want it to be God. Why? Because we know His name. We know what He's like. We know the the glory by which He does all things. Oh, take it out of my hands, God. Your will be done. Right? That's what we're asking for. And that is good. Our Father is the one who is at the helm of the universe. And that is good. Because of what His holy name reveals about Him. So Father, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? So that Your name be hallowed. Lord Jesus, Teach us to pray then like this. You see? These are, the, these are the first three great requests. And really this is the first great request that consumes all of the other five. Well, next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the final three requests. The requests that bring into play our daily lives into this great prayer and plan for the hallowing of God's name. Before we share at the Lord's table this morning, I want to ask you something. As we talked about the rule of God in the earth, the reign of Christ on the earth, what was your heart response to that this morning? Is that something you recoil from? Or something you delight in? And if you recoil from it and say, boy, I... I am not real happy to hear of the absolute reign of Christ. Then what does that say about you? I would ask you to ask yourself that. What does that mean? If I, if I, am, if I refuse in my heart to delight in the reign of Christ, maybe it's that you need to be born again. Because you know what God does in the hearts of His children? He causes His children to delight in His law to delight in His reign, to delight in His rule. Do you, 
Do you know what the essence of sin is? In the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, when, when Adam and Eve fell, their sin was a rejection of the reign of God. They told God, God, I do not want you to be king by their actions. They didn't say it in their words, but their actions screamed it. I do not want you to be king. God, I want to be king. So you know what? You, you can only pray this prayer from the heart if you have a heart that's been changed to love the reign of God, to delight in His command, in His law. So I invite you this morning, if you do not love the reign of God, if your heart has not been submitted to God like that, confess to Him your rebellion and your foolishness. Because to reject the reign of Christ is to reject pure goodness and greatness and glory. And come to Him in Christ and receive the forgiveness that that He is willing to give you if you confess and, and long to be made right with Him. And He's provided everything you need to be made right with Him. You can have Christ's righteousness from His life to cover you if you want it, if you receive it and are willing to turn from sin and submit to the reign of Christ. You can have Christ's own righteousness. That's the beauty of submission to Him. He gives you all that is His. You can have His atonement work for you to remove your sin and remove your punishment and grant you everlasting life with God. You can have His resurrection be for you to raise you to newness of life now and bring you someday out of the grave to live with God in the reign of God, perfect reign forever. Do you want that? If you don't yet have that in Christ because you haven't yet bowed the knee and confessed your sin and come to Christ for salvation, I urge you to to come to Christ today. Bow your knee to the King today. Because if He appears today and you have not, you will know His wrath against your rebellion and sin forever. And then it will be too late. But if you will bow your knee to the king today, he will be merciful to you. That's part of the glory of the king. He is merciful to all who come to him. And he will grant you forgiveness and everlasting life. And you will know the joys that are available to you at his right hand forever. Would you stand with me? Let's, Let's pray. The men can come forward to share communion or to help me serve communion as we pray. Father, we we thank you for allowing your son during his earthly time, his ministry, to give us this teaching on prayer. We ask that you would place it into our hearts. Teach us to have the priorities that Christ had in prayer, Father. Teach us to have the same heart for your glory that Christ had. And thank you. We'll speak again about it next week that Christ is even praying for us as we pray. Thank you for the Son. Thank you for His righteousness, His atonement, His intercession for us now. And Father, feed our faith even as we share this time of the Lord's table together. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our mediator, for his glory and for your glory, Father. Amen.